Welcome back, everybody, again to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the drivers in the Blaney racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will recap Ryan's latest NASCAR race and the jump ahead to preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, welcome back for another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast, and this week we're going to be taking a look at Ryan's efforts in South Florida at Homestead Miami Speedway, another, it was the third race of the season on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit, and another race that I got to attend, luckily I think it'll be my last race for a little while, maybe until July or August, since they've are decided to pack up and move out of Florida finally. Um, but it was an enjoyable weekend in the Homestead, Miami area, and another pretty good race weekend, though it didn't exactly turn out how we wanted as Blaney fans, but just overall race, how did you think things went, just on a grand scheme, not just Ryan's level? The whole race itself, um, it was pretty interesting. Um, there was a lot of passing. There was a lot of different things going on. We had different leaders at different points. Lots of different strategies based on when cautions came up and what was left in the end of the stage. Um, so the actual racing action itself was pretty good. You know, uh, the unfortunate things that happened during the race, well, you know, for, for who we're following, not so good. But uh, these things happen, and uh, they're going to overcome them like they do every other week. You know, it's just a matter of uh, being in the right place at the right time and not the wrong place at the right time. Sure, and every year when they come to Homestead, the that makes sense. A lot of people like to say that Homestead is maybe the best of the 1.5 or mile and a half tracks that we have, or at least the most unique of the mile and a half tracks that we have on the Cup Series circuit. And I would tend to agree with most of those people. And we were chatting a little bit earlier before we hit the record button, and we we're saying that sometimes people think that these tracks are cookie cutter or they can be a little bit boring. And you said, well, Homestead maybe was boring or bad in their first in its first incarnation, but since they've made some renovations and updated the track several years ago, it's a lot more racier than it was when it debuted uh, originally. Yeah, that original configuration was uh, the, the turns didn't have much to them, and they didn't have a lot of banking, and they didn't have you know they were kind of shaped funny, and it just didn't didn't uh, wasn't good for the racing. And uh, when they hurried up and realized that and made the changes they needed to make, well, all of a sudden it got racy and it got to be looking like Atlanta a little bit where, you know, that high line looks good coming off the wall and, and the momentum and everything else. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a good, good place for mile and a half for, from here on in. And, uh, we saw good action this weekend, really. There's been a lot of good action there in the past too. And I tweeted this out on the team Blaney Twitter account, but we were getting ready for the race sitting up in the stands and they're playing clips on the video board. And I, all of a sudden I hear and Dave Blaney takes the lead. And I'm like, what? And I'm, I'm watching and they're playing a recap or a replay of the finish of the 2005 uh, Ford 400. I believe it was at the time that Greg Biffle went on to win. And actually the clip they're playing was Dave leading a couple of laps Greg Biffle and uh, somebody else kind of going like three wide and Biffle takes a lead and he goes on to win. And uh, Dave did end up with a 
six, I think I said a sixth place finish or something in that race. Yeah. This was back when he was running for Richard Childress racing in the uh, 07 Jack Daniels car. So uh, as a Blaney fan, I don't know how many others in the, in the area were kind of that piqued their interest, but I thought that was kind of cool to see uh, leading up into this race. And over the weekend, we went to the Xfinity race and they're kind of playing the best finishes and Homestead itself being the, for, I think they said 18 years and held the championship race. A lot of action happened there and uh, was sad to see the championship go, but really glad that it stayed on the schedule. It was kind of cool to see you on national TV there uh, Sunday <laughs> afternoon, too. Uh, that is that is true. We were um, we just sat down after the national anthem played and our phones started buzzing and people were saying that they saw us. And uh, my man Steve over here did send a screen grab from uh, <laughs> pointing, pointing at his TV, showing myself and my wife uh, standing in respect as they did. They uh did the invocation and then did the national anthem. So um, the one thing I mentioned to Steve was that on TV, and I think this actually happened earlier in the season or last year when they were showing the spotters stand and you're ever like, Oh, you're supposed, supposed to be supposed to be socially distanced. And it looks like all the spotters are standing together. Well, Steve sends me this photo. I'm like, wow, that really makes it look like we're sitting like really close to all the people around us. When in reality, there was like, you know, four and five seats behind us, no one sitting behind us. And, but on, you know, from the TV lens, it makes everyone look close. But I think they said there's around 10 to 15,000 people at Homestead for that race, which I can tell you from the parking lot and everything is, was not a lot of people. Uh, but we were glad we were able to go. So on that note, I think it's time that we take a look at Ryan Blaney's race weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. Ryan Blaney race recap Homestead Miami Speedway. All right, yeah. Um, there were 267 laps. The stages were 80, 160, and there was a competition caution, lap 25, which we're going to start seeing now with all these races where there's no qualifying. They'll have that competition caution early on. They, uh, it was kind of funny. Right off the bat during the pre-race, um, they're on track. They're running their laps. Uh, they're, they're checking the speed for pit road, and Hamlin drops to the back because of what other issues he had and was really funny as Ryan asked, why is the 11 going to the back? So that tells you how dialed in on they are for what they're supposed to be doing and not even worried about anybody else. Cause that happened you know, before they even got in the cars and he had no idea that the 11 was dropping to the back or why. It's one of those, um, one of those interesting things. I think uh, people were asking about it today when they're calling into various NASCAR radio things. They're like, what are the, what are these just, unapproved adjustments what does that even mean and people have said that can mean anything essentially and i think with hamlin they said something about like it had something to do with his digital dash or any little change that you can make to the car and for him it was unfortunate because he lost the pole position so but as you said sometimes you can be very focused in on your race team and what's happening and apparently that happened with ryan there um you know uh, from the start they moved forward pretty quick really um by the 10th lap they were up to p11 then in lap like 14, they were talking about what the two cars doing. Cause once again, the teammates like to work off each other, find out what kind of lines they're working. So those are the kind of questions he's asking. Um, they're racing somewhere near, uh, near, uh, chase Elliott around lap 19 and he's struggling and they actually get a pass on him because, uh, you know, as we saw all day, the nine was really loose. So they had to kind of make sure they got around him without any issues. Um, and then we get to the competition caution, and this is where the changes start to happen. They try to take, take, take a swing at what's going on here. Now, I'm going to paraphrase from here on, you know, this whole season. Whenever I'm listening to the spotter, I can't exactly give you the exact quotes. I'll try to paraphrase. I'll try to give it the best I can. Um, 
But what, what, the, what he tells them is that it's a tight end, slide past the tires. He needs more front feel. Now, part of what this ends up being as the race goes on is not being able to turn underneath somebody. In other words, they want to run that. They can run the high line, no problem, have the momentum coming out of three or four and one and two, and just stay in that high line, no problem. But using the momentum and then turning up underneath somebody, let's say they've got good momentum coming out of four and they want to pass somebody down the front stretch while they were having problems getting that car turned and pointed quicker. And this is, this is what's, what's happening, and they're talking about the, the, the things with the front end feel or the sliding, and then the back end basically sliding out from behind you as you're trying to make that move. Um, so they take a swing right off the bat to try and fix this with track bar. They go two up on the track bar, and pit stop's pretty good considering they're making a track bar adjustment. They only lose about two spots. They go in 10th and out 12th. Um, they, t- they took a little longer because of the adjustment. Um, I try to keep track of choose cone on this race since they're doing the choose cone and uh, i was interested to see what you know because what josh will do is kind of give him the number of cars going one direction or the other and when he gets up there he'll judge basically let's say he's 12th in line going up there and he tells him there's six guys already down low well then he'll go high you know because it's pretty even at that point but let's say it's a disparaging number where seven or eight cars went down low and well, he'll definitely go high because he's making up spots. So uh, for the most part, it didn't affect a lot. And really on this track and this type of racing, it didn't affect much at all, uh, whether he was in the high lane or the low lane. As we find out all the restarts, if you watch them carefully, guys got stacked up in front of him constantly. And it wasn't, I say stacked up like, well, they're three wide and they're four wide, but no, they're three wide and four wide because somebody is sliding sideways going into one and two, and it just kind of really ruined the racing on the restarts that, you know. And once again, if he has a better turning car and can handle it better, he might be able to get up underneath one of those guys and make a move or two, but uh, this this was an issue all day. So um, they, uh, you know, on the restarts, were bouncing off the splitter, but I think everybody kind of does that because of the low air pressure. So... He was saying it was a little bit sideways doing that. And it was kind of like the changes as he, in lap 43, 45, he gives them an update on the changes. And he says it's really kind of doing the opposite of what he wanted it to do. So uh, what's funny about that is the lap times were still pretty good compared to everybody around him. And he was up to about 12th at that point. So, you know, he's moving the right direction. And it was still, he was still able to overcome the, any kind of issues, you know, the best he could. And I think uh, what's funny is I'm only listening to one driver's chatter on this. And um, if you're listening to other people, they're probably saying the same things. Um, they might have a different way of describing it. The communication with their crew chief might be different, but I think they're all having the same types of issues and whether or not uh, his are worse than somebody else's is really what, you know, what it comes down to at that point. Um, yeah, he says it was more disconnected than the first run. So uh, they get uh, lap 65, and there's a caution for a car that blew up. Um, so they take the track bar back down to. Once again, it's changed, takes a little longer because they went in 12th. They come out 15th. Um, and uh, at the end of, basically, it gets them to the end of stage one. They end up in 18th. Um, and he complains at this point, or no, I don't want to say the word complains. He gives the feedback at this point that it's tight in the middle, even on the, uh, the restarts. And once again, they're kind of he's saying he's going backwards, but the reality is, is it's not necessarily the car. Uh, it's the, the, the field stacking up in front of him and him trying to make a move around somebody and having that ability to do it. So 
that's one interesting thing, or at least observation that you're making, and that's something that I saw myself from the stands, was that every restart was kind of crazy. Um, you got guys going four wide, five wide, and as you were saying, at some point in the middle of that, you'll see a guy in the middle of, of turn one and two, or in the middle of three and four, that is like kind of sliding sideways and getting just freight trained on either side, but that's stacking up the whole field behind them in a couple of different points. And I remember um, Dave Moody kind of just shouting uh, during the, the radio broadcast about it being six wide going into three or going into two at, at one point until somebody bailed out at the last second. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. It almost reminds me of some of the restarts that you would get at California, uh, which is, I think, a pretty little bit, a uh, little bit more space for that to happen there mm-hmm. than there is at Homestead. And then the other observation that you made about Ryan running the the top line, he was up there a lot of the day. It seemed like that's where his car wanted to be. That's not really where they necessarily wanted it to be. But the difference with him, and you also said this, was that he just stayed up there. He would attempt to make a pass, but not in the middle of the turn. Like other guys could be in the high line, then make that dive down between one and two or between three and four and attempt like a slide job pass in front of another guy. But Ryan pretty much had to stay up there. And the only time you'd try to make that pass was coming out of corner exit to try to get side by side with another car, but just didn't have enough power coming off the turn, which like you're saying is probably a little bit loose, wasn't able to get the car straight to be able to have the power to go past another guy. So they seem to struggle with that most of the day, finished that first stage in 18th. 18th, And that's the first thing I'm thinking is how we were talking on the last podcast. Like, yeah, he'll probably get some points in that first stage. We bet everything will be okay. And then uh, didn't exactly turn out that way. No. Um, they go in and adjust. Uh, once again, they make some more adjusting here. They go down, uh, down around on the right rear, uh, take some wedge out of it. Um, and uh, on the restart, uh, they uh, start out 19th on the next restart for the, for the second stage. Um, within 10 laps, already up to 15th. And uh, then they do some uh, green flag pitting. Um, they go in about 14th of the green flag cycle and uh, end up about 16th when it cycles through. Um, but uh, at this point, their, their lap times are actually not bad. They're actually about two to three tenths faster than the guys he's running with. So he starts to catch a couple of these guys. Um, by lap 150, he's up to 14th. And then uh, we get a caution at lap 153. <clears throat> which, you know, puts us near the end of the stage. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Um, people come in and pit, and I'm listening, and they're talking about scuffs. Todd's talking about scuffs. Now, the reason he's talking about scuffs at this point is he wants a tire with some air pressure in it uh, already. They know they're only going to have one or two laps between there and the end of the stage. Now, other guys went with fresh tires, and they knew they were going to stay out at the end of the stage break. But they were trying to get Ryan up there, and um, what it did is it takes the splitter off the track a little bit on the restart. And if you're only going to go two or three laps, you're in better shape to fire off that way. So they go in uh, 14th. They come out 12th on the pit. They make that change, and it actually ends up being a one-lap shootout. And he goes from 12th to 8th in one lap just because of what they did with those tires. Now, they have to come back in at, at the end of the stage and get fresh tires because they put tires on that were already like, I want to say they're probably six or seven laps already on them from something earlier in the race. So, um, you know, but, the, you know, he P8 and uh, Ryan goes, hey, 
there we go. You know, he's real excited, and everybody's excited. They got some stage points, and they did what it took to get those stage points. So, um, And that's the first stage points of the year yeah. uh, coming in, in stage two of race three. And um, I like – it's really good that you've been – kind of taking these notes throughout the race and kind of giving him some insight on at least specifically that change. Cause that's kind of some chatter I saw on Twitter as I, you know, I'm kind of giving updates throughout the race and people are confused as to why they came down, got tires, went out, finished eighth in that stage, and then immediately gave up all that track position to come back in again and get more tires. And I didn't really have an answer for the people at the time, but now you're kind of revealing they actually were on scuffs which that was also one of the first you're mentioning before about how, you know, these last couple restarts, things are getting stacked up, but eventually he did move a little bit forward in the field. What makes that a little bit more impressive is the fact that he was losing, except for that stage uh, two end restart there. He had lost spots on every restart. So he's falling back three or four positions and then passing those guys back again, even with an ill handling race car to get himself into position to where they're able to, come down get those scuffs and that was an interesting strategy call um something that i didn't necessarily think of about tire pressures and things that those tires that have the ability to be a little bit higher in the air pressure and you're talking about being off the splitter that's one thing that with these races that have had no practice or no qualifying is that ride heights become a big thing and one of the first things that you hear drivers complain about or you ask you hear crew chiefs asking drivers like is the car in the splitter is the car in the splitter basically did we get our simulation right and all of our other calculations back in the shop or do we are we going to have to be working on this thing for the rest of the race so um strategy call worked out get our first stage points of the year and um we're going to keep going here but that pretty much was the highlight of the race <laughs> as we go so <laughs> Well, you know, the, the, there's still interesting things that happen. And what's interesting here is that, <clears throat> you, you know, they, they go in, they pit at the end of the stage. They come out 18th. Um, within six laps, they're up to 15th. And, and this is what I was, I was saying earlier um, about being tenths faster of what's around him. I try to keep an eye on the lap times of not only himself, but then the cars in front of him that he's gaining on if he's gaining on them and consistently he was three to four tenths faster than the next four or five cars in front of him running in 15th place and that's when um things happened in that in that third stage where the 10 car i don't know how to put this uh, ran out of ability um i don't you know i, I want to be i don't want to say something mean but uh when you you can look at it two ways you can look at it like well he may thought he've had the area that he needed or he says he let up but if he let up he didn't control his car very well because he didn't he would he wasn't clear and uh that's you know what's bad about that situation is ryan's 15th at that point running faster the next four or five cars in front of him who knows what happens with some green uh, green flag cycle pit stops to come and and the fact that they were actually getting better and the car the adjustments they had made the last two pit stops were actually getting the car better and we never did get to find out you know where that was going to lead yeah that's definitely unfortunate um i don't think eric almarol is a bad guy i don't know how to put it but he's been a he's a veteran in this in the series he's has a couple wins under his belt um doesn't really ruffle too many feathers so 
like to give him a pass on this, but I think as most of the Twitter posts and things that went up last night where they're showing videos of the crash and then basically they all just said, not clear. <laughs> so, and that's kind of what it was. I mean, I see the two, two of them coming through the turn and then you just see Al Marola come up and I just knew. And I just mentioned to Steve earlier uh, in the race that in the Xfinity race, that wall, I mean, they repainted it overnight, but that wall was pretty scuffed up from guys kind of running high and experimenting in that, you know, the lower series, really trying to learn how that line works and the wall's all scuffed up by the end of the night. But up until that crash uh, between Almirola and Ryan, uh, no one else had really marked up, at least in two and three that I earned three and four that I could see until actually ended up being Ryan putting the scuff marks on the wall after he was pushed into it. So yeah. that was unfortunate. They had been making gains on the car. I think maybe possibly by the, by the end of this race, they could have finished with at least a top 15, which they wouldn't have been happy with. But I think with the way things were shaking out toward the end of the stages or the end of this race, he could have ended up with a top 10, a top 10 finish. I don't know that a top five was really in the cards uh, with the struggles that they had handling and turning wise, but it's one of those things we're never going to know. It's I don't want to be. Um, I don't think there's anything to be negative about coming out of this race, uh, because it was kind of out of their hands in this case. Another driver mm-hmm. kind of took them out. So anyone that already thinks that the sky is falling on the number twelve team, yes, they're in a big hole, but they're coming up on a couple of tracks here, and we'll talk about one in a few minutes in Las Vegas that they're pretty decent at uh, historically, and there's time to make up some points, and all it takes is. I know he's only gotten one a win year, one win a year for the last few years, but that's all it takes is one win to get into the playoffs. And once they do that, they can maybe refocus again on chasing points. Yeah, the um, the rest of the race. I mean, the, the actually from the point on where the the caution gets called finally for the debris and so forth, uh, they took four pit stops um, to do all the car fixing that they needed to do. Only lost a lap doing that. And um, got back out there and actually got up to pretty decent speed where, uh, you know, for a little while they were in a lucky dog position too. So that could have been, could have been interesting to see what happened with another pit stop, lucky dog, get back on the lead lap. And then once again, they made all those adjustments, but the car was a little wounded by that point. But uh, it's amazing how much work they put into it. You know, they, they took four different pit stops within that caution to fix that car and they got it going. So, And it almost could have been worse because – that incident happens. Almirola hits Ryan. Ryan goes up into the wall. Ryan shoots down to the bottom of the track, clearly has uh, an issue with the tire. And he, and I thought the caution had already come out. I wasn't even paying attention. And then at some point I realized that they're still green. And I thought, you know, this could even be worse. Like I thought, I knew he had some damage that they could repair, but he could, at that point could potentially could have gone multiple laps down, but then eventually Almirola's car failed and, he went back up into the wall himself and that finally brought that caution out. I did see Ryan, like you said, make those four pit stops. Um, I think I was saying there's a little confusion at one point he went past the pit road and actually backed the car all the way back up and then went back to the front of pit road and just sat there for a while. Only ended up losing that one lap, uh, throughout that cycle there, but it was interesting seeing the team kind of that never get up, give up attitude out there fixing the car and they could have. They were one caution away from getting the lucky dog there, and who knows what would have happened after that, after another restart. So, Well, here, here's, here's something to you know, kind of give you an idea of how, how well they fixed the car. With, uh, on lap 244, so what is that, 23 laps to go, um, the leader is 40 back of him. 
40, you know, they say 40 car lengths back of him. And between there and the end of the race, those 23 laps, the 24 did not pass Ryan. He didn't get to him. So he ran good enough speed and was running good enough laps to keep the leader behind him still. And the leader running in clean air and everything else. So, you know, once again, you know, you don't have the misfortune of somebody tagging you and, and causing a chain of events. Who knows? And you got to keep that kind of chin up kind of mentality because next week's another week. There are 23 weeks to get this right. So in the end, Ryan and the team Penske number 12 team brings it home in the 29th position in the third race of the season. A little bit rocky start to the season, a little bit of a points hole, but still plenty of races to go in this 2021 NASCAR cup series season. And, if anyone's uh, can get some things together back at the shop and uh, some things that Todd and Ryan need to work out on how to be a little bit better going into some of these races, since there's only going to be seven more races where they're going to get a chance to practice a little bit before they go. Um, plenty of time for them to work things out and write this ship again. And yeah. Yeah. You, you were commenting on, uh, you got to hear Todd's uh, radio show uh, today. Uh, um and you were commenting on some different things that you heard from him too about uh, some competition pro- things that are going on between the teams. Yeah, so I mean, Todd comes on; he does a, a radio spot on XM every Monday morning, and just kind of explains the good, the bad, the ugly, <laughs> the, everything that happens with the races from week to week. And it, I used to hear him do it when he was Joey Logano's crew chief. So now the last year, and then leading into this year, it's been kind of neat hearing his take on things. And one of the first things that he said was that, you know, he shoulders the blame for their struggles in this race. He said that they actually, and I mentioned this to Steve, I was confused. I'm like, you know, Ryan was so good in this last race at Homestead. He finished his third. He held off Reddick, um, who Reddick finished second in this race uh, this time. And I'm like, what could possibly have changed that much between this car and the, the last race? And one thing that Todd had pointed out on the show this morning was that NASCAR kind of gathered the teams together before the beginning of this year and mentioned that some of the things that they were doing that didn't necessarily would be something that would be caught when they're going through the scanners and pre-race inspection, that they're going to be doubling down a little bit more on the rules. And Todd had mentioned side skirts being a little bit uh, of a thing that they're not really around, allowed to play around with anymore, that it's um, that some of them had been using some different modifications and things that they could do to their advantage. And then a little bit later on, um, I pretty much listened to the radio. I had a five-hour drive back from Homestead <laughs> this morning, actually, that one, let me go through all the stages of grief from uh, this uh, <laughs> this race. And then two, I just, I just heard tons of crew chiefs and drivers talk about things. And one of the other things they said that teams were kind of manipulating a little bit were the wheel wells, actually. And that's another thing that NASCAR said that they are going to police a little bit more this year. So apparently even like something as small as that, and then any adjustments that they said, they Todd had said they were making a little bit of an adjustment to the setup from the previous race that they thought would put them in a better spot, but he said it actually ended up not working out, obviously, as we saw. So I think between hearing some of that stuff come from Todd himself and then Steve kind of sitting there and monitoring Ryan and Todd and uh, Josh's 
you know, radio chatter throughout the race. It kind of gives you some insights that if you're only watching on TV or kind of just keeping up with the standings, you're not going to get. So I appreciate all the work that Steve does definitely to monitor that stuff during the race, especially while I've kind of just been out in the sun enjoying them and, and uh, just kind of catching it in person. But I'm going to be back in my own war room probably <laughs> starting this weekend to watch the races again. So um, until they, they come back around here. So Appreciate all of that. Appreciate the insights that we're kind of able to get and bring to you guys about the Team Penske 12 team. So with that, I think it's time again for me to break out the history books and drop some NASCAR history knowledge on everybody. This week in NASCAR history. This week in NASCAR history, March 2nd, 1958. This is another controversial finish where they, again, imagine if this was happening uh, in uh, the modern era here, but this is happening in 1958. March 2nd, 1958, four days after the race, Lee Petty is declared winner of the 100-mile NASCAR Grand National at Concord Speedway despite protests from Curtis Turner and Speedy Thompson, the apparent top two finishers. Scorecard data indicates that Petty finishes the 200 laps first, although Turner starts on the pole and leads the entire distance. So, Lee Petty gets the win. For some reason, the scorecards didn't agree with that. But, um, yeah, we'll just say that was 1958 NASCAR officiating, and luckily everything is digital now, <laughs> and there's plenty of camera angles <laughs> to kind of let you know who's won the race. This week in NASCAR history, March 5th, 1972, A.J. Foyt leads most of the way and posts an impressive win in the second annual 500-miler at Ontario Motor Speedway. ABC Sports, which televises the second half of the race live across the nation, reports that the final half hour draws a 12.3 Nielsen rating. So this is interesting. This, this is back into the 70s when I think people for the most part, didn't really see NASCAR races live. They would have to watch a kind of a recap show that ABC, what Wide World of Sports, would kind of put together. But in this case, they actually did play some of the race live, or they would only play some of the bigger races live. And for me, kind of being a, a NASCAR junkie that's watching everything from ARCA to Trucks to Xfinity to Cup, I cannot imagine living in a world where I actually had to wait. <laughs> actually had to wait a little bit to see the race or only get to see uh, the second half of a race so staying in the 70s decade March 5th 1978 David Pearson rallies from a late spin passes Benny Parsons and drives to victory in the Carolina 500 at Rockingham's North Carolina Motor Speedway this comes down as the 100th win of Pearson's illustrious career a couple of big names there David Pearson and Benny Parsons. Let's jump ahead to the 80s. March 6, 1988, Neil Bonnet comes from the 30th starting spot to win the Goodwrench 500 at Rockingham. For his second win in a row, Bonnet edges Lake Speed by less than a second. The first four finishers are all running Hoosier tires. I hear about that back in the day. They had this tire war kind of going on, but in some cases... If you're wearing, if you're running Hoosiers, it, they had said it was a huge advantage over running the Goodyears at the time, but I think there are some other cases where it caused some safety issues between, um, just if they didn't hit the, the setup right exactly, and some of the tires coming apart. But I guess in this case, on March 6 at Rockingham, strapping on the Hoosiers for that race turned out well for them. And finally, jumping ahead to the 1990s, March 4th, 1990. 
Kyle Petty wins the GM Goodwrench 500 at North Carolina Motor Speedway and pockets $284,550. The total, though, includes $220,400 of Unical 76 money that goes to the driver who wins the pole and the race. So what's interesting to me, and it's actually kind of something that's kind of come up now in the truck series with Marcus Limonis, who owns Camping World, and or the CEO at least of Camping World and like Gander Outdoors, where he's been putting in a ton of extra bonus money that some of it is actually set aside to go to just crew members, and some have gone to the driver and the teams. You don't really see too much of that happening anymore, and in this case, that, that you know, the 76 brand there was throwing in a almost, I mean, what is it, one, $220,000 of his purse was all bonus money from actually being the, the driver that started on the pole and won the race. Do you think that incentives like that could make racing in the modern era a little bit more interesting? Uh, this uh, It's kind of incredible that, that you mentioned uh, the camping world uh, uh, CEO there. He, if you keep an eye on his Twitter, he does some crazy things on Twitter too. He's giving away campers and stuff like that. Uh, for people guessing right on who's leading after a certain stage. And so, yeah, I mean, promotions like that, um, I don't know why they've died because they've kind of died at, at the big track level. Um, but on a Saturday night at your dirt track, you still see stuff like that, you know, where there's contingency uh, awards and stuff like that for doing certain things. And it, it is kind of adds to it when they did the, uh, uh, the Winston million, you know, thing that, that, you know, that made it more interesting. So yeah, they, they have to bring something back or bring something like that in is, it would be kind of a fun thing, especially at the cup level. Yeah. I mean, I don't know too much out of, about Marcus Limonis aside from he has a TV show called the profit and everything that he's done for NASCAR and camping worlds, commercials and all that stuff. As far as I go, as far as I'm concerned, I think he's a, he's a pretty cool guy and it'd be good to see him maybe step up and maybe even a little bit do, do some more for the cup series. So that was our, I'm closing up my book for now. That was This Week in NASCAR History. Tune in to the next episode of the Team Blaney Podcast, and we'll go through the decades again for next week. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Las Vegas Motor Speedway. All right, Steve, now I think it's about that time that we preview Ryan's race for this upcoming weekend. We're going all the way back out to the West Coast, finally leaving the East Coast, and we're going out to Las Vegas Motor Speedway for the Pennzoil 400 on Sunday. The time for the race is at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can catch it on Fox and on the radio on PRN instead of MRN this weekend. And you can also catch all the action on SiriusXM NASCAR radio. Now, Steve, Las Vegas uh, historically has been a pretty decent track for Ryan over the years. Yeah, we had a poll back in, uh, as an 18 in, in the, uh, in the, in March of 18. And then, uh, some great finishes in the last couple of years, a couple of fifths, uh, seventh last year and 11th last year. So, um, you know, they do pretty well here with, uh, qualifying and well, unfortunately we're not going to be doing qualifying this week. Uh, according to Bob Pockross, I'm going to go with Bob on this one cause he did all the math for me this week. Uh, they got Ryan starting 26th with uh, Kevin Harvick on the pole. So, uh, you know, they're going to have to come from the back a little bit again. Once again, not a problem, though, really. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully whatever things they may have been having issues with last week, they're going to work on that this week. Um, but coming up through the field, I don't see them having a problem doing, and Las Vegas is a great track for him to do it on. 
It's another one of those tracks where that Penske power can really shine. Ryan's been really fast there, as you mentioned. He has that pole there in 2018. He's got three top fives there, six top tens, and that's six top tens out of nine total starts. So that's pretty impressive. A 9.7 average finish there. I'm not sure if we'll be in the points in stage one, but we might be close. And then after that, I think uh, we're going to be on tap for a pretty decent finish. Yeah, this uh, this once again the mile and a half will be you know, in the next couple of weeks are the way to go. You know they're going to gain points, they're going to gain stage points. Just stay out of people's pro- other people's problems. Uh, try to stay away from the forty-two. Hopefully he doesn't block anybody this week. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I shouldn't have brought him up. Oh yeah, we even kind of left that whole thing out of the <laughs> out of the last race. But yeah, there is no love lost between Ryan Blaney and Ross Chastain right now. Even just based on how they they raced each other at Homestead, there uh, Ross was definitely on the defense uh, for most of that time. And I think uh, you'd even mentioned that Ryan and Ryan had mentioned that he was being as careful as he could around the 42 car. So Mm -hmm. maybe if he steers clear of that 42 for the next couple of weeks, let all of that cool down a little bit. So looking back to last year, as you said, Ryan finished 11th in the first race at Las Vegas, 7th in the second race. That first race, he did lead 19 laps, so spent some time out front. And prior to that, he'd really only led a handful of other laps. Looks like one in a couple of the other races throughout the year. So... Last year was kind of when he really came on strong as far as as far as leads go, but the amount of top fives and top tens that he has at this track definitely, I think, would bode well. Race-wise, Joey Logano won the first race uh, in 2020, and then Kurt Busch, the hometown boy, won that second race and the second return back to Las Vegas last year. So, like you said, another mile-and-a-half track. Definitely a lot different from what they raced at Homestead, but I still think there's a possibility here that some of the things that they discovered at Homestead might be able to translate and then look forward again to some of the other races on the schedule that are mile-and-a-half tracks this year. Maybe they can kind of get some setups together that will lead to some a little bit more success for the team and a little bit more stability and some better finishes. Yeah, we're looking at the same uh, same number of laps as we saw last week. Uh, 267 will have the... Uh, stages at 80 and 160 uh so you know uh, if it stays caution free during those times you're gonna get one pit stop green flag pit during the first two stages and probably two during that second stage and uh that's what i'd really like to see i'd like to see what would happen if they could just run green through a stage and see what kind of gains they make uh, on some of the other teams because that's the one thing that the, the penske cars do really well is uh green flag pit stops uh they when they cycle through uh they gain positions just on the pit stops themselves let alone the changes they make to the car during those pit stops so i'd like to see a little more uh green and clean racing uh that would that would help them i'm sure one other thing that will be different from for this year as opposed to last year is that they are going to have fans back in the stands at Las Vegas. Now, Steve, I believe you um, had a trip planned last year that kind of was canceled when everything was shut down a little bit. So are you a little bit sad to to, to know that you're not going to be able to head out there again this year to, to see the race? So there'll be a limited number of people out there, so that's at least moving in the right direction. Yeah, we'll, um, we're going to work on trying to do it again in the next year or two. Um, yeah, we our anniversary is is in September, and uh, that's what it was planned around. It would have been really nice to do, 
Um, but you know, if not this year, we'll, we'll try it again for next year. Um, things are, things will go, things will get better. They'll get back to capacity and, uh, we'll make that trip out there. We've been there before, uh, for at least Vegas itself. And it's, it's a fun place to be. That's definitely one thing when we've, like I said, we've been, if I haven't mentioned enough about the races that I go to, um, but I've really only ever been to two tracks. I've just been to Daytona and I've been to Homestead. Um, we're looking to add Atlanta, at least Atlanta to that, and then Bristol in the future at some point here. But there are a lot of tracks that have come onto the schedule now that could be kind of destination places like Nashville Super Speedway. You can go enjoy that. You can go to Las Vegas, enjoy the race there. Um, even I would say Charlotte for a NASCAR fan is a destination race because you can go to Charlotte and then go in maybe not this year, but maybe next year, visit the race shops and some of the museums and other things that are around there. So it's kind of cool to kind of tick through the NASCAR schedule every year and maybe make some plans and kind of schedule some vacation around when that's going to happen. So maybe we'll see Vegas in the future, but if you want to see Vegas on TV, again, the Pennzoil 400 is coming up on Sunday. Las Vegas Motor Motor Speedway, you can catch it at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox, PRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR. And I think now would be a good time for us to transition into the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. And I think we actually both made some fairly decent gains. I didn't move that much up on the leaderboard, but I'd like to run through our our starting lineups that we had for this past week's race at Homestead Miami Speedway. My five starters, I had Kevin Harvick, I had Kyle Larson, I had Tyler Reddick, I had Joey Logano, I had Denny Hamlin... And then I had Kurt Busch in the garage, who was somebody that I probably at some point, if I was paying attention, uh, if I was just like last week, kind of stuck paying attention to the race and forgetting to check my fantasy lineup. But I probably could have scooted Kurt Busch in for maybe Joey Logano. But overall, I did pretty well. Harvick scored a bunch of points. Tyler Reddick finished second in the race. Kyle Larson, what, he finished third or fourth? I think he finished fourth in the race. Um, Hamlin rebounded a little bit, so I got some pretty quality points, and then in my bonus picks, I had picked Denny Hamlin as the race winner. He was scheduled to start on pole, but as we mentioned earlier, went to the back for some unapproved adjustments, kind of started in a hole there. He did rebound a little bit there. I'd picked Chase Elliott as the top finishing Chevy, but he had a very loose race, I would say. He did go to the lead at one point, but didn't hold it for very long. Kevin Harvick, I had the top four, and that was a good pick. And then top Toyota, I had Martin Truex. That was another good pick. I had Ford as the winning manufacturer. That didn't work out too well. And I had Joe Gibbs Racing as a winning team. That didn't work out too well for me. Yeah, I've noticed as you do this, um, uh, Denny, Martin, Kyle, Chase, and Kevin were my starters, and Bubba was my garage guy. But when you get to the bonus picks, uh, to really make points or gain points, um, you hopefully have one of your starters as your bonus pick too, because uh, having Harvick as my top forward guy, you know, he ends up being the top forward guy, gives me those points. Plus I got had, had him as, you know, had him as a starter too. And I got all the points for him, how he finished in the race and what he did with the stages. So um, Denny is the top Toyota and, and Chase is the top Chevy. And I had Denny winning also. So, uh, that didn't work out quite that well. Um, I toyed on Joe Gibbs. I thought the same things that you did there. But uh, like I said, I made some gains on points, uh, you know, having a starter who also was also the top guy for his uh, brand, uh, the Ford, uh, Ford cars. So let's take a look at the overall league standings here. 
Again, some of these names are kind of funny, so as we'll read through them. In first place in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, we have Doug K0525 with 573 points. In second, we have Blaney's Daisy. In third, we have Moon Cup. In fourth, we have Stellarnarius. In fifth, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing, who was with us last year, definitely. In sixth, fastest, we... fastest chicken in the south. Yeah. In <laughs> sixth, we have Team Penske. In seventh, we have Dusty Hawk ninety. In eighth, we have Sam Speedsters. In nine, another one of my favorites, we have the Blaring Idiots with five hundred and twenty points. And rounding out the top ten, we have Hamilton nineteen forty with five hundred nineteen points. If you're keeping track of where Steve and I are at, Steve went soaring up through the leaderboard this week in race three up to the 14th position and then you have to scroll fairly far down to me i am in 32nd team blaney admin with 449 points so still plenty of room for me to improve looking into this week i'm kind of looking over the stats at las vegas and there are some pretty if you look at the people that have won the last several races Dating back to 2014, it's the same names repeating kind of over and over again. So, Steve, if I was to give you any insight here on who uh, to pick when it goes in, at least for the win, at Las Vegas. So, going back to uh, 2014, we have Brad Keselowski, then Kevin Harvick, then Brad Keselowski, then Martin Truex, then Kevin Harvick, then Brad Keselowski. So, again, same names coming up over and over again. Then a new one comes into the fold. In 2019, Joey Logano, then Martin Truex Jr. again, then Joey Logano, and then finally Kurt Busch. So if there's some guys that you think you might want to put into your fantasy lineup, I would take a pretty decent look at the two Penske teammates in Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. Kevin Harvick, also historically good there, and Martin Truex. Now, one interesting one is that Kurt Busch did win here the last visit to Las Vegas. Kurt Busch has been a contender in all three of the cup races this year. Um, so especially even just these last two at the Daytona road course and then at Homestead. So something is clicking for that number one team at Chip Ganassi racing, and he might be worth um, putting him into your lineup. But one thing you do need to consider is that you only get what? 10 starts out of these guys until yeah. the playoffs start. So I've already used Hamlin once or twice and I'm uh, not sure. I think I'm actually pretty good on being able to use Brad and Joey. So um, you just have to watch. You, like you said last year, you kind of used up everybody pretty early on. And by the time we got toward the playoffs, you, the pickets were kind of slim. Yeah. Yeah. You got to kind of like find yourself uh, a sleeper pick or two, you know. And I hate to say it, but guys like Kyle Busch are actually sleeper picks right now. You know, you're not using them much. They're not making a lot of noise. But sooner or later, things are going to click for a team like that. Um, Kurt Busch would be a good one this weekend. He's starting seventh. Of course, Harvick's on the pole, um, and, uh, you know, you can't beat uh, Harvick when he's out front. So that might be a good one to keep an eye on. Um, Truex is running real well right now, uh, even though him and Denny might not be getting along on the track. Uh, the, The 19 team is out front. They're doing a real good job with the equipment, so. And I'd say Larson, believe it or not, would be my Chevy guy right now uh, to keep an eye on because uh, he's back and uh, he showed what he he can do, what he uh, needs to do with the equipment there. So the the five car might be something in the next couple of weeks you want to keep an eye on. I think there's definitely going to be a point in this year that Kyle Larson might start clicking off multiple wins. 
he's slowly or quietly at least being a contender, not making a big splash just of yet, but being in this Hendrick equipment for the first time in his career. Um, I know new team, they're still trying to working out some sponsorship issues that again, he had his own series of problems there with that, but his performance on the track, I think at some point is going to speak for himself. So we've talked about some other guys to watch. Where do you think Ryan Blaney finishes this race, the fourth race of the cup series season at Las Vegas motor speedway, Steve? I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with the top 10. I'm going to say seventh this week. I think, um, starting back a little bit, will will kind of hurt them. Um, but I think they're going to gain, uh, the experience that from last week and go forward with it. And, uh, they'll have the car set up the way they need to have them set up. Uh, these next couple of weeks will be, be key, but I think they're going to do what it needs to be done. Um, like I said, if who knows what would have happened if they hadn't been involved in the accident last week. So I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say seventh. All right, I'm gonna. I'm a big fan of the reverse jinx, especially when it comes to the NFL and college football and various other things. So I'm not gonna reverse jinx it too bad, but I think Ryan finishes 15th this week. He'll tie his best finish of the season so far and finish 15th at Las Vegas. And I'm hoping that maybe that will be proved horribly wrong. <laughs> It'll be much better than that uh, to help uh, boost his point standings going into the next race. So, Steve, I think that about uh, wraps things up for this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. Thanks again for taking all those notes during the race, and I look forward to what you'll have for us next week. Yeah, I want to tell everybody, just stay positive, okay? Don't jump off a cliff. Each week is a new week. These are experienced people. They've been doing this a long time. We know that the guy can drive. So tune in and enjoy what you see, you know? You're going to see good things you're gonna see bad things but you're gonna see somebody who's trying his best every week to make something happen and every one of those people are doing that nobody's going into this race this week going let me see how i can screw this up or let me see what kind of mistake i can make or let me see if i can do something wrong no every one of the guys that jumps over the wall and tries to do something everybody who tries to help with you know josh with spotting and 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 todd with his calls on the pit box they're all trying to win a race and you know what you still have to contend with 38 40 other guys out there and uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but the effort is there so just enjoy the effort yep and all it takes all it takes is a stretch of good races and one win uh in this season that'll put ryan right back into the playoffs and we'll be there for it so thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Team Blady Podcast. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about myself or co-host Steve, please listen to the very first episode of the podcast that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Team Blaney. You can also find us on Instagram now. Some of the races that I've gone to this year have posted some photos. You can find us at team.blaney on Instagram. And also don't forget to download, rate, and subscribe to the Team Blaney podcast on the Apple and Google podcast apps. And then now also it is available on Spotify. So if you're already listening to Spotify regularly for your favorite tunes, why don't you tune into Team Blaney on Spotify and uh, subscribe to us on there. 
And then finally, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and then finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. And we've mentioned it the last couple of episodes, but it seems like each week they're kind of teasing a little bit more and more about this Blaney Bunch fan club that's coming out soon. And so continue to follow Team Blaney, continue to follow the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation on social media and on their website to get more information once that fan club starts. I think it's going to be a really good thing and will support a good cause in the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation and their other partners that they have. So again, for my co-host Steve Mez, my name is Adam Rogers, and we'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast.